I suppose you could look at uh, the stats and go 65% possession, 17 attempts at goal. That That's not a bad game from United, but uh, the defending was absolutely horrendous. Absolutely no protection in midfield and the back four was a complete mess. And then United really offered not very much up front. Uh, very few actual saves for Tim Howard to make. Very, very poor. Most concerning bit, though, was the post-match press conference where Louis van Gaal said that basically, basically, to paraphrase, his players weren't up for it. Very interesting. I haven't seen any of that. So um, he, he, you say that's worrying in the sense that he said it or that that's what was actually happening? That's what was happening. Um, Louis van Gaal plays everything with a straight bat, doesn't he? So he does. uh, Yeah, he said uh, he and Giggs noticed in the warm-up that things weren't quite right uh, and they were worried from the warm-up onwards. So uh, it seemed like uh, the players just uh, didn't fancy it today, which is it's pretty sad, really, isn't it? I, I mean, second place was something that United were chasing. Third place was extremely viable. Um, fourth place was you would have thought locked on but actually United now need eight points from the next four games to guarantee that fourth place and um, two of those games include away to Palace who albeit have been dreadful recently but uh, I bet you they're up for United turning up at Selhurst Park and, and then the home game against Arsenal which is uh, definitely no guaranteed points there so hmm, a little bit of squeaky bum time now isn't it? It's amazing how quickly everything changes, isn't it? I mean, this time last week we were talking about a kind of noble defeat to Chelsea, which hopefully wouldn't knock the team's confidence too much and all that. But I have to say that looked like the worst performance of the Van Gaal era to me. I mean, maybe, obviously, the Leicester game, the second half of the Leicester game, but we were superb in the first half of that, so it kind of um, splits the difference a bit. But this one, as soon as that goal, that early goal went in, and, you know, McNair a little unlucky in that, I, I thought, I don't think that was the worst defending I've ever seen, really. But uh, the other two were up there <laughs> with the worst defending I've ever seen. But yeah, just from the moment that first goal looked went in, just didn't look at the races at all. The system that's worked so effectively, even against Chelsea when it was kind of somewhat blunted, it, it didn't look this flat, did it? And uh, no. Rooney returned up front. Did he? He was playing. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, he, he didn't even really uh, offer much more than Falco had done the week before, did he? No, he didn't. Uh, you, you can't, I mean, the attack was really blunt today, but you can't look much further than the defence for, if you want to point the finger, uh, it's right from the, the go, really. That owning Everton goal, um, Daley Blink got himself in the wrong position, was passed around and then failed to make a tackle, and McNair made uh, one of the worst attempts at a tackle I've ever seen if you can call it an attempt, and uh, McCarthy just kind of walked the ball in. It was just dreadful defending. And then uh, off the corner for the Everton second, we've got Valencia losing his man and Fellaini standing still. Look at where the ball is when it goes in, when Stones heads it in and where Fellaini is. He's just nowhere near it, and he's he's the man supposed to be attacking it. He just didn't get off the ground, and so dreadful there. So um, and, and that really put United on the back foot after those two goals and, and never really got back in it for all that possession. I just don't feel there was any penetration up front and as you say, Rooney not with it. I mean, I guess we're used to that at Goodison Park. He's he's been absolutely dog turd there for a decade, hasn't he? Uh but he was he was almost worse than that today. And the rest of them no great shakes either, so like the players I really like um were all rubbish as well <laughs> this week. Mata and Herrera just could not get anything going. Uh, when Di Maria came on, it was the same story. When Falco came on for Fellaini at halftime, now Fellaini was woeful in that first half and was on a yellow card and would have got himself sent off, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> That's why Van Gaal, he needed to change something up and, and Fellaini was the logical 
choice to to switch out. Shame for him to kind of come crashing into terrible form against his old club but it was one of those games that we've talked about which doesn't salute suit for Laney loads of not much space available and all that kind of stuff um but yeah Blint I mean you were highly critical of Blint pointing out that his uh statistical contribution was extremely minimal uh as a screening defensive midfielder and I have to agree sadly yeah, um, too much time doing his hair, <laughs> or something like that. Yeah, I mean he's just he's not as effective as as Carrick. He doesn't seem to get in the right positions. I mean neither of them are, are sort of you know up and at him, blood and thunder, making tackles and and uh, putting in the reducers and all of that. And neither of them are going to be Roy Keane or a player of that ilk, of course. But yeah, Blint Blint doesn't quite. He doesn't feel like a natural in that position actually. And whereas he's felt much more comfortable at left back over you know his winning run recently. This without even going on uh, about some of his obvious weaknesses, which you know no need to mention since I mention it every week. But uh, he, he just wasn't at the races. He doesn't get himself in the right position, so he's not an effective screen, and that put pressure on Smalling and McNair, and it told a little bit, didn't it? You know, and and I, I have to say I really like McNair, but um, he didn't have the best game. I mean, it's great when he's got the ball, he's got the confidence to take it over the halfway line and, and without getting a nosebleed. And and uh, Smalling wasn't too bad. Probably not his best game after I wrote twelve hundred words on <laughs> how wonderful he is during the week. Inevitable, I suppose. Tony V got himself in all sorts of terrible positions all of the time, um, which is a shame again after we praised him last week. I think you asked whether he was any good last week and uh, there you got your answer, Paul. Uh, I was thinking that on that third goal. I was like, oh, that's why Ed said no very quickly when I said, is Tony V actually a good right back? And I've just not noticed it. We talked about the first two Everton goals and actually the second one was really unfortunate because... I think if that had not gone in, we would have we we were growing into the game, and I think that just completely knocked all the wind out of our sails. Because I do think this team's confidence is extremely fragile. It, it was hard won that little run of form and confidence, and it doesn't look deep seated in the team, um, deep seated in the team that that confidence. But anyway, the third goal. I mean. My giddy aunt! It was it was like an American football trick play almost because Lukaku takes a step towards the ball and when he does, every United defender completely switches off. None more so than Antonio Valencia, who does not notice the man absolutely bearing down on him and think, "Oh wait a minute, the ball is still in play." Yes, that's the uh, quarterback handing it off to the wide receiver who launches a hail mary or, exactly. or something like that. I, I'm sure that was some NFL terminology there. <laughs> uh, I strang together in some random sequence. But um, uh, yeah, it was complete, complete mess that really embarrassing and uh, like pub team stuff, basically. And everyone's got a third. I mean, you know, on the balance of play, if you didn't see the goals, you, you wouldn't say that Everton even nearly deserved a 3-0 victory. It's, it's one of those games where United hogged the ball and Everton were very successful on the break because United were... A bit of a mess, but it's starting to look like a pattern, isn't it? Some of United's worst mm-hmm. performances have been when they've had the, a lot of the ball and teams have hit them on the break. And so, you know, you, you kind of think, well, one mind is on the transfer window, isn't it? And thinking, well, where do you build from? And, and clearly you have to build from the back. And unfortunately, it might be David De Gea, given um, some uh, comments by Lou Van Hal on Friday in the press conference, pretty much saying he's off. And and then, you know, clearly a central defender and clearly a right back. And then it, there's got to be a defensive midfielder in there because uh, you see what happened when Carrick's not available and he's he's knocking on 34 now. 
Um, and then after that, you, you can sort out the attacking problems because there are definitely a few, yeah, given Falcao and Rooney's problems and, and a few of the others that have been blunted rather easily recently. And, you know, I, I don't want to go all knee-jerk on this and because a couple of weeks ago we were feeling really confident that United would definitely put in a title challenge uh, next year. But, but right now, after the last two performances, it feels a bit further away. It does, especially this one, because I was not particularly downhearted after Chelsea. But this game is, I mean, as I say, I think it's Van Gaal's best performance. Best performances under Van Gaal have been very swiftly followed by the worst. And and it really was a surprise because I think the, the Chelsea game came as no surprise that, that we weren't able to be effective because we didn't have either Blint or Carrick as a defensive midfielder. And so the whole shape was kind of rejigged. But I did think that Blint, at least versus like the quality of opposition that is Everton, Blint would be able to do a reasonably functional Michael Carrick impression and we could build some sort of attacking impetus on the back of that. But our lack of attacking, like part of the defensive problem was down to having Blint there instead of Carrick, but not all of it by any means. There's plenty of blame to spread around there. But the attacking impetus, I, I you wonder whether, I don't know, is it just that we're kind of over-reliant on Fellaini and Young playing above themselves? Uh, you can neutralise Matter and Herrera if you really sit super deep on them and deny them any space to work in. It did seem that Martinez found a very, very quick and effective way to blunt what's been good about United recently. Right, yeah, and maybe, uh, maybe Chelsea and Everton have found United out a little bit. It was like 30 seconds in, it was obvious, right? So United got the ball and Everton sat back, dropped deep and didn't try and press the ball. And this is interesting because actually Martinez's side does press the ball. Mm. So they, it was very deliberate. And that's 30 seconds into the game. I thought, oh, hello, um, we're, we're going to get a repeat of last week here. Mm-hmm. And and then they just broke. They used their pace up front, and they were very successful with it. And and United are going to have to find a way to to uh, counter that. Of course, uh, if 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 this is the style we're going to play, and you kind of suspect that Fellaini will be less influential next season, and we'll get another player in midfield there, and United will have a lot of the ball, and it will look much more like a, a typical Van Hal side. And and we're going to have to find a way of being more penetrative in the final third to make sure we take some of those chances. And and I suppose, you know, the one player who definitely does pro- provide that penetration is Angel Di Maria, who didn't come on for what seemed like an age. I couldn't believe he didn't turn up in the second half, or on half-time. And uh, it, was, it was after the hour, wasn't it? He came on for Juan Mata, and it, it should have been somewhat earlier than that, I think, for the second week running. Yeah, and also, I, I think the decision to choose Matter to take off rather than Young is a slightly peculiar one at that point as well. Um, much as I like Ashley Young, I feel like you have Matter and Di Maria on either side then and you've got something potentially pretty exciting to work with rather than deny the possibility that Matter's going to do something special even though he's having a quiet game because he does do that sometimes, doesn't he? You know, Very good at getting himself into the right position and eventually picking the right pass. Although, again, you wonder whether... Van Gaal kind of favoured the directness, really, um, rather than the intricacy, because there was so little room to work in. So that that might explain that. I wanted to talk a bit about De Gea. You mentioned him briefly. Van Gaal said we've chucked all the money in the world at him, and now it's up to him, basically. But he's not been very good for a few weeks, David De Gea. Since that goal um, with the Phil Jones deflection, I can't even remember what game that was in. Maybe that was Villa. He's made a few mistakes and he was not great today I thought there was a a time when he really should have come out to claim the ball and he didn't maybe even more than one occasion I think it might be distracting him a bit all this stuff 
Yeah, I think it might be. I think some of the focus is gone, and uh, I wonder whether Van Gaal was talking about him included in some of the other players who weren't quite at it in the warm-up. Mm. No, I'm quite sure it is, because it's clear that... Well, it's, it's really clear, isn't it? You know, we're coming to the end game here, where he effectively stalls on the contract and United have to sell this summer or decide to force him to stay for another year. And and uh, Victor Valdez didn't come, you know, two-time European Cup winner, five-time La Liga winner, didn't come to sit on the bench, one suspects. Yes. So I think I think that's uh, I think it's the end game and maybe some of the focus has gone, yeah. Wouldn't be wouldn't surprise me and Marker reporting this week or Radio Marker uh, a bastion of knowledge and journalism no. Most definitely not, but uh, saying this week that uh, he was prepared to take a significant pay cut on United's offer to join Real Madrid. I mean, maybe he'd take his, the standard package they offer there and it would be somewhat less than United are willing to pay. But uh, it's been obvious for quite some time, hasn't it? We're, we're, it's a long goodbye. We're waving goodbye to, to David De Gea and we're going to take a significant downgrade, uh, which means we definitely have to upgrade some of the rest of the defence for next season. Yeah, it certainly does, because the one thing that's been sort of quite comforting to me about even though De Gea seems to be leaving is that we've looked so much more solid as a defensive unit. And I have to say, the other thing is that is a fairly... You put a proper right back in there and McNair, more experience, or one of the defenders who's injured and McNair's playing instead of, there's a kind of automatic upgrade just by upgrading the right back, isn't there? Uh, Because the central defensive injury situation if we sign Hummels or one more similar and a right back I then think we've got very adequate squad cover at that point and and it isn't the end of the world but uh, this defensive midfield problem does have to be solved in the summer because we can't rely on Michael Carrick for another year surely well we can't I mean he's he's going to be you know approaching his mid-30s this time next year so he's coming to the the end of his career and he's not a player that's always uh, relied on pace and physicality clearly Michael Carrick so uh, maybe that'll help him in his latter years and he's uh, clearly going to be sharp on the ball still but he's he's going to be declining of course you know so United will need a, a, a replacement for Carrick and we definitely need another central defender a really top class one uh, and that's going to be harsh on some players as I said but um you know, there's just too many of them don't perform either because they're inconsistent or injured. And that's just not good enough for for a club of United's ambitions. And Van Hal's talking about titles and disappointed that he hasn't made a title challenge this season. He said that on Friday. So and going to be back in the European Cup next season. Hopefully. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> God. I mean, it would, it would still take a pretty disastrous turn of events. I mean, we're talking about Liverpool winning all their games and United losing two. But I mean, I suppose it could happen. Uh, but yeah, back back in the European Cup, we hope, suspect, it's got to have we've got to have an upgrade there. Just got to. It's a sort of difficult game to talk about, really, because part of me also just thinks this was a bad day at the office all round, and it is something that happens to teams that you have bad games. But it's just so badly timed to have a bad day at the office, and and even when you do. It's it's almost like for weeks on end, United have been excellent and their kind of individual performance and collective pressing has combined well in terms of the matchups with the opposition to kind of cover United's flaws. And I feel this game swings a little too far in the other direction of exposing United's flaws, you know, and, and magnifying them to be bigger than they actually are. Because I don't think this performance today, even if you put that 11 out every week... 
I don't think you'd get games like that every week by any stretch of the imagination, you know? Yeah, uh, I mean, that's very true. I, I, I guess, you know, in, in these big games, the decisive ones, the more difficult ones, and traditionally you'd say that Everton were away was a difficult one for United. I mean, lost a lot of games there recently. Yeah. Uh, haven't scored in years at Goodison Park. So in these big games, United are, are going to have to find a way to get points if, if United want to win the title. So not every game's going to be like that next year, and not every game United will defend so badly or be so blunt up front, of course. But the big players, the best players, make the difference in those most difficult of games. And so Van Gaal's squad is just a little bit off um, the best at the moment. But we all know that, right? Yeah. And it's just a kind of question of degrees of how far off yeah, and and uh, two weeks ago it felt like it wasn't very much. Even after the defeat to Chelsea, it felt like it wasn't very much. Although, you know, Mourinho did one on Van Hull there. We kind of we had no answer to to Mourinho parking the bus, which uh, they did very successfully against Arsenal again on Sunday. Uh, and so we just it's just that little bit extra. And uh, United, are, it seems, going to spend money in the summer to try and find that little bit extra. I have to say, I find all the transfer talk very disheartening because all that keeps happening is I keep thinking, yes, but we signed Di Maria and Falcao and that didn't do us any good. You know, of course, that's not true. Uh, Di Maria in particular has done us quite a lot of good on numerous occasions. Uh, Falcao today scoring by far his best goal in a United shirt. Sadly, it was offside. Yeah, well, it says something that he has to be offside in order to get that kind of space. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, obviously, he's not going to stay. I mean... Honest, like, what is the maximum amount, a kind of serious answer, what is the maximum amount you would pay as a transfer fee for Falcao? £3.50? Yeah. It's just not worth it. I don't see the point on those kind of wages. Yeah. Uh, he, he's gone. It's just not enough. There's United could spend money on a young up-and-coming player, uh, you know, a quarter of the money, and get something a bit more effective, especially if Van Halside's going to play in this sort of, this sort of system, you know, one, one striker. I mean, it, it is a problem because Rooney hasn't looked that effective at number nine, honestly, or any other position. Uh, Falcao's looked terrible and, and Robin Van Persie is clearly well past his peak and, and James Wilson isn't quite ready. So on paper, it looks like a fantastic quartet, doesn't it? You know, three really senior strikers, some of the best in Europe and a young up-and-comer that everyone's got great hopes for. But the reality has been somewhat different. So you'd be tempted to say that United need a striker in the summer, but there are other play- positions that need fixing first. So you might have to build around that. And But, but Falcao's not the answer. I mean, even if Monaco wanted to negotiate on the fee, which it sounded like they did. I bet they did. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I bet they do, yeah. It's when you, you know, not a very good bluff from them, is it? They, <laughs> they haven't got many options there. But, but, but United are asking the player to negotiate and the team and it's not going to come down far enough for it to be worthwhile and and for Falcao to say face as well you know he's a proud man I'm sure and first time in his career he's ever been in this kind of situation where not only is he not in the team but he's absolutely terrible and uh, because he was such a fantastic striker for you know last five years as you mm. were saying last week and and now he's not and the best thing about him is the size of his penis <laughs> I think it's his winning personality but anyway I showed Mrs. Rant that picture. She was rather gobsmacked. She said, that, that, that must be uncomfortable. I'm not quite sure what she meant about that. I'll let the listeners have a think. Oh, sorry, everyone. I don't know why I'm apologising. It was you that said it. Anyway, 
Yeah, so a, a, a properly terrible day at the office and one which points the way to uh, numerous problems that United need to fix. And as you say, worrying that the if if it's true indeed that the players couldn't get themselves quite up for that game. And it, it definitely really did look like that. And then kind of combination of poor execution and, and a little misfortune uh, and some truly historically terrible defending like it will go down in legend Antonio Valencia standing there with his arm in the air looking around like hey what's going on why are they all still playing oh look they've scored we should uh we should I guess look to move on should we should we take some questions from the listeners see if they've got anything cheery to say oh I'm sure these will be good <laughs> it seems seems a long shot uh are United the new Arsenal asks Greg Silent oh, wow yeah not far off I mean desperately chasing fourth and passing sidewards <laughs> yeah, lo- for eternity loads of possession dire at set pieces occasional defensive lapses at the boy Sly asking whether Blint's good enough to cover for Carrick which we've talked about uh, and saying, can Gundogan play as a lone holding midfielder? I guess mm. since we lifted the transfer talk embargo last weekend, we can talk about Gundogan. Uh, various rumour and counter-rumour going around this week. Uh, 430 days he missed with that back injury. I, I don't know about you, but I'm finding it hard to get excited about him coming. Three years ago, he wasn't he awesome in that Borussia Dortmund team that did so well in the, the Champions League? So fantastic player in the past missed so many games uh, it's not just that me- mega injury though he's had a lot of niggling injuries over the years too I had a look he's played 125 Bundesliga games for um, Borussia Dortmund and he's missed 122 through injury it sounds like Owen Hargreaves all over again uh, especially the kind of fee they're talking about uh, a couple of papers said he was on a free transfer not true his contract runs out in 2016 so United would have to spend big money to get him Dortmund uh, not likely just to release him on cheap um, and uh, I presume he'd want decent wages too so it sounds like a mega risk uh, for a player that was fantastic has played quite a few minutes for Dortmund he's played 18 times in the league this season not not too bad for a player who's coming back after so much time out uh, but a huge risk. So if it's not him and, and, and first of all he's not exactly Michael Carrick is he Gundogan he's a, a lot more of a progressive player than that really. Yeah I think he's he's kind of um, this is cruel but I think he's sort of Vidal light. Right. Uh, he's kind of all action box to box midfielder in, in my mind uh, I think that's his best role um, and, and which is you know not a bad one to have in the squad of course um, although Herrera seems to have turned into that player. Look I know that's a cruel assessment but uh, to call him light, that is. But uh, I, I'm not sure he's exactly a, a Carrick replacement. But then again, there isn't a really obvious one out there. I, mean, I might be missing something here, but uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure we're going to replace Carrick with like for like. Uh, and so maybe an all-action player in that kind of balanced midfield would, would be good. But, you know, Vidal and Pogba would be the ones you'd be looking at, and they'd both be mega, mega expensive. We were, weren't there before with Vidal, didn't we? Pogba, I'm sure, is off to Real Madrid. Or Manchester City, actually, is uh, the very strong rumour. So one of the two. And and the other option uh, that is obvious and repeated often is Kevin Strootman, who's had two very serious knee injuries in the last year. Doesn't sound like a good bet either. And I'm literally not sure he can currently walk. I mean, given um, he's probably walking again from his last knee injury, but... He's still injured, isn't he? He's not. He's not back from the second one. Yeah, the insurance premiums aren't going to be very cheap on <laughs> no, that one. Absolutely. The thing about Pogba is, you, any of Pogba, Vidal, or Gundogan, never mind replacing Michael Carrick, there'd be a superb upgrade on Fellaini, wouldn't they? That's you know. And then you have Carrick, one of them, and Herrera across the midfield, and then you look at 
them being able to provide a better cover. Because I don't think we should sell Fellaini in the summer. I think he offers something very useful to the squad as a whole. If he's going to play well, you know, 60% of the time that he's on the pitch or whatever, just better if he's not first choice, right? Talking of Fellaini, at Just Vaporlock says, would you rather fight five matter-sized Fellainis or one Fellaini-sized matter? Definitely one Fellaini-sized matter because he doesn't want to fight you. He just want to give you a hug. Whereas five matter-sized Fellainis, you would have elbow wounds all across your ribcage, wouldn't you? Interesting. This is an interesting question. At Jim Dorr says, how high is football on your overall list of things I rely on for joy in life? Thanks. Hashtag Wankcast. Uh, That's a good question. It's not that high on mine. I like it. It's a sort of football is a hobby I'm very enthusiastic about, let's say. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's some way for you behind sort of the hookers, the girls, <laughs> the drugs, the drinking, the gambling. Just in case uh, new listeners to the rant cast, that's not true, all those things that he just said. Well, you would say that, wouldn't you? I you would. would. You would. Denial. Yeah, 12 steps, mate. We can, we can help you out there. <laughs> yeah, one of us can definitely help the other one. <laughs> yeah, this is not a codependent rant cast. <laughs> Well, look, it's, I suppose it's pretty high. Uh, it, I mean, it's different these days because, you know, I'm old and uh, older, obviously, than I used to be. Now you're old, Ed. Is it check, <laughs> check that out for insight. So so I have kids and a demanding job. And uh, so, you know, football's important, but it doesn't consume my entire life like it did when I was in my early 20s. And I'm sure that is the same for many, many people who've done their time on the terraces. So, you know, it's it's important and it's not good when United lose and it's going to be stinking in the office on Monday because I'm going to have a lot of people chirping away at me for much of the day. A play, at A Place to Hide, Becky says, What summer signing would make Ed Woodward spin gleefully around in his office swivel chair? I'm really worried that the only thing that can get him to do that is Edison Cavani. Woodward's got some sort of deep Cavani abiding fetish, I think. Yes, yeah, he likes that big star name doesn't he because it is marketing potential uh, the one that would make him spin around the most of course would be uh cristiano <laughs> yeah <laughs> now there's marketing potential for you at eddie rose 13 talking to cristiano says of all the players we've loaned out this season whose return would you most welcome do you expect any to actually return i guess uh, a bunch of the kids will come back but hernandez scored the uh, winner in the champions league uh, quarterfinal in a Madrid derby, and uh, Thierry Henry provided the stupidest thing that a football television pundit has ever said when they knew they were being recorded, as far as I'm concerned. And that is some that is a high bar wow. that Thierry has smashed there. Yeah, that, that really is when you were talking about Savage and Owen and, and uh, the like. Yep. Uh, regularly talking nonsense. Yeah, absolutely bizarre, wasn't it, from Henri to go on this rant and, and not just like a, a one five-second quip. He went on for about five minutes about how Hernandez should have been celebrating with Ronaldo because Ronaldo is great about celebrating with his teammates, <laughs> isn't he? I mean, you know, he's never run off on his own, kissed himself, got the mirror out and kissed himself a few more times. To to actually answer uh, Eddie's question, I I can't really think of any of the senior players that I'm particularly excited about coming back. I mean, Nani offers something, but we've got plenty of, you know, we've got better versions of Nani, uh, let's say. Hernandez... Hard to get excited about Javier Hernandez after the last couple of seasons, isn't it? I mean, you know, if Van Gaal could get Hernandez playing again and if he was happy to play a kind of supplementary role in the squad, he wouldn't be bad to have around, would he? But 
Well, it's that, the, that kind of thing about um, the balance of strikers that United need. So actually, if Falcao goes, it wouldn't it wouldn't be so bad if Hernandez is the only striking option coming back. But he's he's not going to change United's world. He's still going to be a player that comes off the bench. And uh, and for him, I, I think that's not a good move. You know, he's he's just done a he had a season where he got very little very little game time under David Moyes, and he's had a season at Real Madrid when he got very little game time. Just about scored the goal the other day. Didn't exactly score, score it cleanly either, did he? So it's really tough for him. He he should go to a middle ranking side where he plays every week. Yeah, absolutely. At Matt Lewis six says seriously, what are the worst biscuits? Chocolate bourbons for me. For me, it's uh, anything with coconut in. It's like, oh look, it's a lovely biscuit. Oh no! Oh, now the back of my throat's all scratchy and horrible and a nasty taste in my mouth. Coconut biscuits, rubbish. Don't mind a coconut biscuit. A, a plain old digestive. I just think they're just boring. I, there's cardboard and then there's digestives. Yeah, I, I will take a rich tea over a digestive any day of the week and twice on Sundays, even though they're not particularly exciting. They're nicer than digestives. Some controversial rankcast opinions there for you. At MR Thompson 9 says, <laughs> this is the key theme of the week. I went to see Avengers this weekend. It was superb. United players as the Avengers. Uh, Fellaini as the Hulk, obviously. You wouldn't like him when he was angry because he would elbow you in the face. Iron Man, well, maybe Phil Jones because he could do with some sort of protective suit around him to keep him in one piece. Captain America, kind of clean cut, wholesome, all action. We lack for one of those, I'd say. Could kind of have the goodness of Juan Mata as Captain America, really, because he's just pure and noble and good. So that kind of works. Who have I missed? Thor, sort of thunder god with amazing hair. Well, we've got plenty of players with the amazing hair, but we're a bit short on Thunder Gods in the United side, aren't we? So, yeah, the the role of Thor is waiting to be cast, and that's kind of one of the problems with the balance of our squad. You know, this is all straight over your head, isn't it, Ed? Uh-huh. Hi, hi Tatiana, how you doing? She'd like that. Uh, final one. At David DeBanter says, will De Gea ever love me? No. No. David DeBanter? Yeah. David de f- off. <laughs> Oh, we nearly had end times this this week. Right. When Savage and Michael Owen were doing banter on Twitter. The thing is, Ed, I was going to call you out on this on Twitter and I thought, no, I'll save this for the Rankcast. The only way you could know that is either if someone retweeted them onto your timeline, that's fair enough, or you're voluntarily following Robbie Savage and Michael Owen on Twitter.com. Yeah, but I need to know what's going on. The zeitgeist, we're doing our research, right? Yeah, but we don't need them to help us with it. God, I nearly cut my own throat out with a spoon. I don't think that would have helped. In fact, then the bad guys win if you do that, Ed. That's key. Right, so West Bromwich Albion, Tony Pulis's men come marching into town. Uh, Tony Pulis, Tony Pulis, a boyhood United fan, interestingly enough. And West Brom have been in much better form lately. Uh, beat Crystal Palace away. Thanks to Pulis's superb insider knowledge of his opponents, presumably. Uh, hopefully he won't know us as well, and hopefully we won't look like a bunch of part-time pub footballers, and it'll be a different story. Completely. It'll be a completely different story. I mean, it's Old Trafford for a start, and West Brom will try and park the bus, but they don't have the pace up front to cause United the same kind of problems that Chelsea and Everton did. So I, I, I think it's, a, it's going to be a completely different game. United will dominate and win. But and as you'd expect with West Brom coming to Old Trafford. Any other any other way you see it? Yes, the other way. <laughs> the other possible outcome, which is that we're terrible again 
uh, and West Brom managed to pull something out of the bag. I mean, they've caused us all manner of bother in the last 18 months, West Brom. Two all drew at the Hawthorns earlier this season, and last season they beat us, of course, in one of Moyes' many records that he managed to get smashed. Surely, though, it can't be like this. I wonder whether Carrick will be back, and I wonder if he is, if uh, Van Gaal will kind of break his normal route back from injury and just put him straight into the first team straight away. Yeah, I think, I mean, it's not like he's been out for very long. Look, come on, this is a West Brom side that lost against Leicester and QPR at home in recent weeks. I mean, I know they went down to Palace and won, but Palace look like they're on the beach, don't they? Until United come into town, of course, when it'll be their cup final, they'll all suddenly be up for it again. Ah, this, this West Brom side lost twice to Villa in successive weeks uh, and lost to QPR and Leicester. They're, they're terrible, aren't they? Yeah, all right. <laughs> You've talked me into it. Um, and, and you know, it's funny because I wonder, partly, partly I think this is just football fan optimism, right? You watch your team play terribly one week and then you think, yeah, but they'll probably be better next week. But the truth is they probably will be better next week because even though we haven't scored a goal for 180 minutes of football and I don't even know if we've had a, a proper shot on, I mean, we've had shots on target, but, you know, a shot that actually caused the goalkeeper any trouble for 180 minutes. It just doesn't, I just don't think it's going to happen again. Um, not from a heart perspective, but from a head perspective, you'd think we've still been very good at Old Trafford. These last two games have been both away from home where we've absolutely struggled all season. I think uh, I saw somebody say that we'd be, we would, we're by miles or a good way top of the table for home performances, but we're like eighth in the league for away performances. So being at home makes a, makes a very big difference. Yeah, Fortress Old Trafford, yep. Yeah. I've certainly been very good at home. Picked up tons and tons of points, so uh, I think United will win this game comfortably. And then then who do we have the week after that? Is it is it Palace the week after that, then Arsenal, then Hull? Yeah, then... And that's that's the way it goes. Um... Right, that's it. So, you know, a couple, couple of key games there. I think United will go into the, the game at Palace, uh, having won comfortably at home to West Brom, and, and that'll be a real tough game. I think that Palace game is probably the one that decides it, really, because you'd expect United to beat Hull quite comfortably. Uh, and uh, if United beat Palace, I think that's it. It's done. United have got fourth, uh, and it will be sealed because it, and it won't really matter what happens in that Arsenal game. So pretty crucial one. So I, I think uh, may even if the players aren't up for it, which apparently they're not anymore, <laughs> which is pretty criminal. Even if they're not up for it, and even if they had a bad day at the office, and even if Van Hal has some kind of stroke and picks three at the back, I think United will still win next week. <laughs> um, he looked absolutely fuming just before half-time Van Gaal did. He went bright red in a way I've not really seen him go yet. He looked angrier than he's done at any point this season, and you could see why. But hopefully he'll be leaving Old Trafford all smiles after we smash West Brom 4-0. What do you think the score's going to be? I think United going to win 3-0. But then again, I just predicted that United were going to win 2-0 at Everton. <laughs> hmm. So, hmm. No, 3-0 to United. I just, there's no way I can predict a nil at the moment. We're back into that stage where predicting a clean sheet seems uh, absolute folly to me. Uh, So I'm going to go 2-1. A bit more awkward than it needs to be, maybe. But we will get the three points. We will be marching on towards glorious fourth place, waving our flags, Arsenal all the way. Wait a minute, now I've got confused. Yeah, it's a very a very long time since United kind of had a period like that, isn't it? So no no trophies last season, seventh place. No trophies this season, likely fourth, I'd say, 
uh, very heavy um, odds in favour of United finishing fourth now. That looks a bit kind of Liverpool-esque, doesn't it? It's kind of a bit bit mid-table, not very good. Is this the new normal? A, a, a huge amount rests on next season. I mean, I, I think that Champions League qualification this season was always the plan, right? So assuming the trajectory is that the, we've been knocked off our course by, by in dramatic fashion, both by Ferguson retiring and by the choice of initial replacement and the kind of drastic failure of that experiment. And what we have now is a, a path, a route back to the top. But there are going to be bumpy times ahead because basically we really need to be in a proper, proper title race next season or I think it is going to be a while. But we'll see. We'll see. Um, you know, there could be substantial investment and in a way that's kind of a bit less scattershot than it was this summer, just gone, or last summer rather. Um, and so we're not Liverpool, but we're actually going to return to the top. But I don't think the expectation that we win the league or finish second by a point has happened for five years in a row, or whatever it was, is, is going to carry on forever. Uh, so while we're on the subject of Liverpool, just how funny is their demise at the moment? And uh, can we start a Rogers in campaign? It's a lot less funny this afternoon than it was, you know, six hours ago before we lost that, before we kicked off against Everton. So. True, Schadenfreude <laughs> is best when you've actually won. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We just we just lost 3-0 to the worst, the team in Merseyside that's worse than Liverpool. So uh, let's save the, the gloating for next week when we've smashed West Brom. Liverpool, who, of course, you know, are chasing us to play Hull next, then at home to QPR, then the away trip to uh, Chelsea, who will have probably won the Premier League by then but they never lose at home and then Liverpool finish up against Crystal Palace wouldn't it it would be quite funny if it was quite tight and uh, Stevie Gerrard has a chance to win it in the last minute against Palace and falls over I mean I, you know I might, I'm, I'm, I'm jinxing it aren't I but but that would be good there's no amount of schadenfreude in the world worth it being that tight on last on the last day of the season. No way. I want it done and dusted so that Steven Gerrard can spend 90 minutes smacking goals in from the halfway line for all I care because it will be meaningless. I don't know. There's a certain kind of <laughs> journalist in me likes the narrative of the ball rolling across the goal line in the 98th minute at Anfield. And uh, Gerard skying one or slipping and skying it and then chasing the ball all the way to LA. Let's just beat West Brom, beat Crystal Palace, beat Arsenal, and then it doesn't matter what we do. And, and then just like let Steve Bruce win so he gets to stay up. Yeah, super tight at the bottom, isn't it? I mean, Burnley and QPR are done, I think. Uh, with four games to go, and especially as Leicester and Sunderland and Hull all have a game in hand. So, But Sunderland are looking like the, the side that's about to tank, really. I mean, Leicester have actually picked up some points recently, and Hull won last week, didn't they? They did, and, and Sunderland are so terrible. One thing that is going to happen uh, this season is that a terrible teams are going to stay in the Premier League, and that's that's happened a couple of seasons in a row, actually. There's been some... But last season it was probably Aston Villa, although Tim Sherwood's completely reversed the fortune of that team. Tom Cleverley's going to, either Tom Cleverley or Danny Welbeck is going to win an FA Cup winner's medal. And I'm sure they're just going to take it round Rio Ferdinand's house and just hold it in front of his face for half an hour. Neither choice is great, I suppose. Can you even call Cleverley a United player still? He's certainly never going to put United shirt on again. And I mean, I suppose it's between uh, Aston Villa and uh, Everton for his signature in the summer. Mm, hot race, that one. <laughs> I guess it'll depend on if he scores a screamer in the FA Cup final. He might be more inclined to... Can we recall him the day before the FA Cup final, just out of bitterness? <laughs> 
just to prevent him. Wayne Rooney will be like, no, he's not having one before me. It's not fair. I reckon that'll do it for an episode of the Rantcast. We'll be back same time-ish next week. You can read what I've got to say on the Bleach Report, read what Ed has got to say on unitedrant.co.uk and uh, leave us a comment on iTunes if you'd be so inclined, uh, if you've got nice things to say, because uh, that helps out. And subscribe in your podcast software of choice. Very good, yeah. Sorry about the result this week. Uh, it was probably Paul's fault. It normally is. But uh, rather worrying, I think, that Van Gaal felt the need to call out United players' lack of motivation. Um, I'm hoping that won't be the case against West Brom. Uh, as I said, I think it won't matter. In the meantime, enjoy your week. Absolutely. It'll be good to get the Reds back home.